Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 223 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I talk to Nathan Hamley of Sick Chicken Studios about their point-and-click adventure game, Guard Duty. But before I delve into that, let's talk about what else is on the Kane and Rinse radar, or should I say, under its umbrella? I don't know, stuff. First of Kane and Rinse, out every Monday. This week covered Dark Souls 3. Yes, little-known niche title. Wait, I've done that joke before. Never mind. Sound of Play on Wednesdays, where they celebrate video game music from all genres and all eras. And then finally on Thursdays you have Playwright, where you have two people called Ryan trying to make games based on the pitches delivered to them by their listeners. If you want to know more about Cane and Rinse and the other content that we produce, Pop along to canandrinse.com where you will find not only archives of all the four podcasts that we release every week, but also a lively forum. I know, a forum is alive in 2019. How could it possibly be? But it's there. There's also a Twitch stream where we're actually airing... Airing? Is that the right word? I don't know. Streaming. There you go. I'm old. Sorry. Uh, Thursdays, we do Sea of Thieves. Thursday nights. Well, Thursday nights at UK time. Uh, 9pm. We stream for about an hour or so, myself and Darren Gargett, where we sail across the 17th century Caribbean looking for content. And then on Sunday is me streaming some game from some random console from platform, doesn't matter. It's just a game. It's just games, right? All games! If you want to support us financially, we would be very grateful to receive such funds if you pop along to Patreon, where you can actually submit $1 a month, $1 US dollar a month. And if you do that, you will actually get extra content from us. you get an exclusive podcast, a monthly podcast that's hosted by Jay and Leon, where they talk about current affairs and video game land, that kind of thing. And then there's also extended editions of Kane and Rinse itself. Also, you get those editions one week early if you subscribe. And also you can... Just chuck us some money anyway via PayPal if you're not keen on Patreon. That's that's fine. You can do that if you go to canandrinse.com. Well, enough about me. Let's press on to the main feature. Hello, past me. Start to speak now. Nathan. Hello. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, um, I'm Nathan. I make video games, or one particular video game, that is Guard Duty. Um... Uh, point-and-click adventure game that is styled like sort of the 90s classics um, and I've been working on it for about four years now 
four years, and it's styled like a 90s classic. It looks like one, but doesn't move or sound like one because a 90s computer would probably freeze at the opening screen. <laughs> yeah, I think so. We've got um, some fairly... Although we stuck to the resolution, and it is in 4x3, I must say. It's not widescreen. No. Um, yeah, we've, we've sort of cheated in a few areas with some overlay effects and a bit of like transparency and stuff that I think would probably choke on the old... Um, Old computers. Yeah, it would. A um, lot of animation as well. Lots of animation. Yes. Yeah, and, we packed uh, it full. <laughs> yeah, and that's just the thing. But yeah, that's what we're here to talk about. Guard duty, but not quite yet. Let's uh, keep our powder dry, as they say. And let's uh, delve a little bit, find out a little bit more about Nathan. Sure. So, how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Um. It goes back quite a while. Um, so when I was in my early teenage years, um, I was originally messing around with a bit of software called Dark Basic, which was incredibly overwhelming for me at the time. It was um, like a completely text-based game engine, but you were able to render 3D graphics through it. So you typed everything out in a like essentially like a DOS command prompt. Um, and I got started by copying bits and pieces of code from other example projects and just modifying tiny little variables in the code and um, trying to make something original, like, I don't know, making the gun shoot twice as fast or making the enemies a different color. Um, and yeah, from that point, I went on to messing around with modding maps for the early Half-Life games um, and the original Counter-Strike and uh, it wasn't that long after that that I discovered a small engine called AGS or Adventure Game Studio. Um, so I've been sort of playing around with Adventure Game Studio since my sort of mid-teenage years, um, and Guard Duty itself was actually a project that I wanted to make when I was very young, and um, have finally obviously seen that through. But yeah, I kind of spent some of my teens making stuff in AGS, making little point-and-click adventure games that never really got finished. I made a couple of um, jam games for the monthly jams they held and then moved on to do um, digital media arts at university. Um, got into filmmaking for a while. Um, I've worked a couple of video production jobs. And, um, yeah, I was basically decided to start making Guard Duty in my spare time, and it kind of took over my life, as these things do. That's interesting. So you actually went off to do animation or video in you know in your your sort of day job in inverted commas, but then found that drifting back into interactive media. What what was that like? Was how has it felt like working in something much more linear versus what you've produced here? How how has that been for you? It kind of um, it sort of scratched the itch with game development a bit because I went into this. Um, you, I studied just IT, flat out IT in college, and I was learning about like networking and web design and a little bit of graphic design. Um, and then I went on to do yeah, digital media arts, which kind of, it was a really broad course. We had people who were um, interested in making films, people who were interested in making sort of um, animations and also graphic design. And they gave us, they kind of gave us the option to go down which route we wanted, but all of the courses um, within, sorry, all of the lessons within the course were kind of varied and they did bits of all. Um, and I just really got into the writing side of filmmaking. I was really into like writing scripts and I was also doing a lot of artwork at the same time. But um, yeah, it seemed like more of a logical choice for a career path because I was at the time I was like thinking, right, at some point I'm going to finish this and I'm going to need to get a job. 
Um, and I kind of took to video production um, quite quickly and quite easily. And um, yeah, managed to find a few freelance jobs in that afterwards. Um, so yeah, it sort of, I don't know, it incorporated some of the things I liked about making adventure games, which was always my passion. Um, but it was a bit more commercially viable. Um, this was like before the indie boom. Um, yeah. yeah. I hope that answers um, your question. It does. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it because I found, I keep on reminding people two things that uh, shakes them up a bit. First of all, the iPhone arrived in 2007. That's 12 years ago. Yeah. Remind people of that. And that's more or less the same time Xbox Live Arcade arrived. For good or ill, depends on how you feel about it. That created what we now have, in my humble opinion. You may disagree, but that was the kernel. That was the start. That was the the, 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 the match that lit the fuse that we yep. now exist in. Again, for good or ill. Uh, and uh, I think generally for good, because without it, we wouldn't have Hotline Miami and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Braid was one of the standout ones for me, I think, indeed. in the early days. Yeah. That, oh, wow. That's a game. Yeah. So, um, and... I just wanted to then, that gave license to like, remember those point and click adventures that everyone hated that, you know, because of a certain game called Gabriel Knight 3 with a terrible puzzle involving <laughs> cat hair? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, which killed the genre. It's not true. I mean, there's much more reasons why, but everyone loves that story. So let's stick with it because it's great and it's simple. Um, uh, but um, the thing about it is that people sort of turn and go, yeah, I remember those. What if we applied modern game design sensibilities, which is what you've done, and, and yep. others like Wedge and I have done as well. So, you know, actually, if we apply that logic, we can actually make these awesome. And that's exactly what's been happening for the past 10 years. And I just want to say, everyone, that Guard Duty definitely adds to that, to this, this, this extraordinary renaissance over the last five to ten years that has happened with point and clicks because they're definitely helping it along. It's not a piece of thing I'm being patronising. I just don't really think it, it, it belongs that, that it's, it's important that it's returned because yeah, it's an extraordinary good. method of telling a story. Yeah, um, I think so. It's, it's just with also one of the few genres that you can get away with being funny, absolutely objectively like deliberately funny rather than sort of an adjunct to being funny. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's like a slight to being funny. Yeah, it's strange that. You don't see that much. You see kind of tongue-in-cheek humour occasionally in um, more like AAA games and other genres. But yeah, definitely adventure games um, seem to have more comedy-focused games, which, yeah. is, which is good. You see satire in <laughs> GTA, for example. But GTA is satire. Sort of yeah. But um, that's a you know that's a bit of a crass example. Most games uh, are, are actually quite quite uh, tame when it comes to comedy because you know why? It's hard. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is <laughs> hard. So I think you answered the question about how do you make your start and doing mods is fantastic. And I still I still really really love uh, Half Life. I still still think it's uh, one of the one of the greatest games ever made, even though. The bit where you have to jumping jumping across between the the um, the oh, the 
the crates. I could have done without that because I just thought, yeah. oh, great, Turok. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah. There seems to be a, a lot of people who aren't into the Zen world as well at the end, which had a lot of jumping mechanics involved. Had a lot of jumping, a great baby thing, and what was, I don't know what was going on, but. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, Half Life 2 is way better, but of course it was. But that's a discussion for another time. But it's great that you cut your sort of teeth on making mods and stuff because some of the greatest programmers have basically copy and pasted some other code. <laughs> and yeah, that's then, true. And then keep the, you know, decompiled it and re- reinvented it. And, but ultimately, it came down to, to someone else understanding what they were trying to do. But um, no, the way we've done it is fantastic, actually. just uh, And also relatively high level language stuff as well because. Who wants to know assembly? Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? I mean, unless you're working on 2600s or the NES, which we've had developers on to doing games on those machines, they always say, oh, God, it's, it's just so hard. Like, yep, it's amazing what they did back then. Yeah, I'm um, I'm very much an, an artist. Not, I mean, I do programming for our game, but it is, it's quite low-level programming, I must say. Yeah. It's, uh... I wouldn't wouldn't be able to make an engine <laughs> no no let's leave that to the driver makers and things like that that's that's fine so as a as a, as a creator of things uh, sick ticking studios i'm asking you as a representative of that fine fine out, uh, outlet which has made this amazing game that is god duty what do you believe are your biggest influences um so both myself and my partner, well, sorry, teammate, partner sounds like we're in a relationship. He has a wife. Um, but yeah, my teammate, Andy, and myself, we're both like really into the Discworld books. Um, personally, I sort of started off playing Discworld adventure games on the PlayStation 1. Um, and so they, they have a big influence off it, on it. Um, I think that it's kind of, it comes through quite a lot with the fantasy setting. Um, but also... Um, there's a PS1 game called Blazing Dragons. I don't know if you've heard of it. It was um, it's like a point-and-click adventure game um, based on the Blazing Dragons IP, which was a kid's cartoon at the time. Um, and that, that was a massive influence on Card Duty. I, I love that game. It's surprisingly not that many people have heard of it, but it's a really good point-and-click adventure game. Um, but I guess we also take influence from other places. The storyline tries to sort of follow along with um, something you'd see in a Hollywood blockbuster movie, perhaps. It's lo-fi, it's it's retro, but the the story itself, we try to have that hero's journey. Um, and obviously we've got some sci-fi influences in there as well. But yeah, um, I, I sort of, I played a few adventure games on my Apple Mac when I was very young, um, Fate of Atlantis being one of them. And then um, I was very much a PlayStation kid in the 90s. So um but I was also a fan of adventure games, so I tried to get hold of as many of them as possible. Um, Broken Sword games, for example. And, yeah, I think more modern games we've been influenced by. Um, obviously, the Wadget Eye games are a big influence. I think Dave Gilbert's doing great things with the genre. Um, his his style of writing and how he's um, handled writing and narrative in adventure games, I think, is really good. It's um, definitely something to take inspiration from. He sort of keeps dialogue quick and snappy, but um, really emotional and the characters feel really relatable which is good um, and then yeah I, I really enjoyed the Telltale games as well um, I think they've had a bit of an influence too May you rest in peace um, yes terribly, terribly sad, but a uh, bit topical here not really relevant to listeners now because the, the offer's gone but as I was sort of setting things up bit of fourth wall breaking here everyone but I sort of logged onto Steam as I do just checking things and they were selling all of the Monkey Island games for £8 <laughs> Well, <laughs> all of them. 
And the special editions, by the way, the, the, the revised ones. Yeah. Oh, oh, have I got them on PC? I do, but my old PC. Oh, it's only eight quid, fine. Typical Steam yeah. thing. All right, fine, we'll have those. And it's great, yeah. all four of them. Well, not, there was one done on the PlayStation, which I can't remember what it's called, but that was unique to the PlayStation 2. Uh, um, yeah, it's Escape from Monkey Island, I yeah, believe. It's hard to find, apparently. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yes. Uh, um, and also, go and rewind a little bit, because I'd let you talk there, and this is what I do. I sort of pick bits up. Right? So, Pratchett, then, favourite favorite of his? Any particular ones that uh, immediately spring to mind? I can give you mine, if I may, and then you can... Um, yeah, what's, what's yours? I, li- I like Guards, Guards, personally. But... Okay, well, Carrot, I can see that. Um, yeah. Mort. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, really understand what death's about. It turns out he's just a civil servant. <laughs> yeah, he's just a civil servant. He's you know, he's got no feelings either way. He's just getting a job done, which is exactly what death should be. So no, wonderful. Uh, um, uh, it's very sad to see his passing. It's a yeah. ter- terrible loss. But he was thankfully extremely prolific, and his quality of writing did not diminish, in my humble opinion. Uh, yep. And I have all of his books, and uh, it's all he missed. But uh, I actually preferred him over Douglas Adams. I know many people sort of heretical, but uh, I think Douglas was great, but very cynical, a little bit too cynical, in my opinion. Mm. And uh, whereas uh, I actually found uh, Terry Pratchett's uh, observations on the human condition to be far more pithy. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I've always liked how relatable it's kind of relatable with um our society now he makes the characters even though it's sort of a fantasy setting he obviously brings a lot of um elements from real life into it and we try to do that a bit of guard duty mm. i think have you have you played the um discord adventure games oh yes nah, you don't want to get good. the name of that donkey cart <laughs> yeah. oh i heard that a few times yeah just over and over again just a few, <laughs> just a few. Um, yeah. I no, played them. Uh, I even played Discworld Noir, which I do, I do actually have the PC because I, I was a PC um, nut back in the day. Uh, I, had, I went for Amiga to PC. Uh, I didn't get a PlayStation until '97, I think. Okay. Because I, I discovered Gran Turismo. I went, oh, this is amazing! And, <laughs> 3D uh, graphics. Yes. Well, no, the PC was doing all that too, but I, there were some exclusives that weren't coming out on the PC, and I got I got annoyed. And then uh, when I found out, I started playing some of the exclusives on the console. I was like, oh, this is not bad, is it? Because you know, at the time, PC was really, it still was, uh, kicking it. And it was, you know, so I got a PlayStation just before Baldur's Gate. It wasn't very wise, but never mind. Uh, <laughs> 98. Look up 1998. It's, it's uh, legendary in PC world, um, PC gaming. Um, it's, it's, it's muttered in hushed tones that year. Because you've got Half-Life, Baldur's Gate. Uh, there's a bunch of others. They're the two that immediately spring to mind. Yeah. Uh, but it just sort of landed on, like, oh, I think TIE Fighter X-Wing versus uh, also came out there. It's just ridiculous. It's, it's just a good year. It was a, a fine year. A fine, <laughs> fine year. Fine year. So, but no, it's, I definitely can see all those influences and, and the and the wits and the, the well, how can I put it? The, the pacing is there. Yeah. You know, the delivery, the pacing, it's really good. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So this next one is a bit hard to answer because um, you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But what developer do you most in, in, admire in the industry and why? Hmm. Um, am I allowed to say multiple developers? Yes. So, yes. Uh, go, okay. Go nuts. Um, so 
I must say, um, obviously Dave Gilbert, um, he's quite a uh, figurehead in the adventure game community. Um, I've really enjoyed Francisco Gonzalez's um, latest game, Lamplight City. I don't know if you've heard of that. That is, uh, it's a kind of steampunk-ish detective game um, with no inventory. So it, um, you kind of gather clues in a notebook and all of the puzzle solving's done through investigations and conversations. Um, Ooh, that's very Discworld Noir-like, isn't it, really? It is, yeah. Uh, yeah, with hints of like the Blade Runner game as well in there. But the, that was a good one. It was. Yeah, yeah, that game's great. Um, I think one of the developers that... um, Disclaimer, he's a friend of mine. But um, Joe Richardson, um, who made Four Last Things, which is like a Renaissance-inspired point-and-click adventure game, um, he has such a knack for writing comedy. Like His games are genuinely hilarious. I highly recommend anyone check out Joe Richardson's games, Um, especially Four Last Things. He's also making a sequel to it. Um, called the preposterous awesomeness of everything. Um, I'm trying to slur my words a bit there, but um, you yeah, can't, you can't say that after two pints, can you? <laughs> you can't really. No, you it's, just, it's a tricky up, one. You're done making an acronym out of it. Let's like just call it that. That's fine. Preposterous yeah, um, thing. Go on. Yep. Um, yeah. So uh, I think his games are, are really good. Um, so there's a few it was fellow um, adventure game studio developers, um, Cloak and Dagger Games. They make um they kind of, they've churned out so many point and click adventure games over the years they've been involved in AGS as long as i have um and i've always kind of looked up to them because they've actually finished their projects yeah. rather than myself when i was um unable to finish anything when i was younger um so yeah they've made quite a few games um they recently released one called football game which is like a short david lynch inspired horror-ish thriller game um it's very cheap it's on steam um, and that's that's really good fun. So shout out to Cloak and Dagger Games as well. Excellent. That's, I, I love that one because it's it's the point of that question is it's um it, it recognizes that first of all you're not living in a bubble and there are other people doing what you do, and you go you know I, I tip my hat if you wore one to them and say thanks for doing the thing that you do. Um, and that's great. And uh, also I've, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit I haven't heard of the people you mentioned all the games but i will be now because i'm a big fan of the old pointing clicks hence you being on sir yeah uh, excellent yeah there's so many good ones oh, um so many good I, ones, yeah. I actually have to mention um gibbous a cthulhu adventure as well by stuck in attic because okay. that's like um an insanely high quality point and click adventure game that's in the works it's coming out this year mm. um it's like full hd full hand painted frame by frame animation it looks like a disney movie but it's like a cthulhu mythos adventure so wow. I'm, good... I'm, I'm playing a call of cthulhu game at the moment a pen and paper so um yeah oh so it tie in well it will yeah it's a call of cthulhu london so we're all based we're all based in london in the 1920s which is quite interesting uh, I'm playing a, a QC, or back then it would have been a KC, uh, who uh, who's uh, survived the war as an officer and uh, saw stuff that he didn't want to see, so he's just blanked it from his brain. But it's now <laughs> coming back to haunt him because he nice. wasn't. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's a that's a great setup. Yeah, I think. thank you. It's good, isn't it? Thank you. I come out myself, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and he's also immune to all sorts of insanities because of that incident. It's awesome. <laughs> Oh, he's going insane. I'll just put my hand up. Actually, oh, not him. <laughs> he's seen worse. Fine. He was in Verdun. All right, fine. Whatever. So, 
Last question of the first half. Hmm? What are you playing right now? Um, I'm actually playing a um, sort of, it's almost like a top-down Zelda-like clone called Minit, M-I-N-I-T. Um, it's uh, it's not a point and click. It's um, yeah, it's it's like the very early Zelda games, that kind of top-down um, RPG look. But you have sixty yeah. seconds to do every action in the game, and then the character dies, and you start back at the like starting house. So you and um, yeah, it's it's a really clever mechanic because you can kind of influence the world. Like you'll pick up a new item, and then when you die and restart, you get that item where you restarted, but. Obviously, there's only a certain distance you can go before the 60 seconds are up. Um, but yeah, it's really fun to play in between working on guard duty and finishing up the final bits because you know you play in 60 second chunks if you like. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm going to have to jump into that myself. A minute. It's just yeah. Minute. M I N I T. I T. Yeah. Right. Because you mentioned Zelda there, and uh, it's not something I often sort of talk about on the show, but. Uh, playing the first one, that game was really hard. <laughs> yeah. It didn't tell you anything. It's like, yeah, off you go. It's dangerous outside. Take these. Yeah, damn straight. <laughs> yeah. Everything is. What have you got, got anything else? Yeah, that, yeah, I've got anything. No, guns, missiles, orbital strikes, anything? Nope, <laughs> nope. Okay. Oh, why? Well, I'm dead again. It, yeah, that game. That game. It's uh, not for the faint of heart at all, but... Uh, no, that's, that's a good call. It's a nice sort of uh, filler between between uh, bouts of uh, writing, drawing, and coding, I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Mostly uh, bug fixing at the moment because we're um, we're getting through the last stages of our beta now. So, right, it's yeah, lovely yeah. to be um, you know content complete, isn't it? It, yeah, it's, it was such a relief. Um, we had a little bit of dialogue left over for one of our characters, um, and we finally recorded that. Uh, yesterday actually so i edited that and that's back in the game now so now we're 100 percent dialogue complete and we're almost through the beta testing like people aren't finding many bugs anymore which is great yes that's a big relief yeah um i just i remember i was interviewing uh or chatting to a developer in seattle was at pax west late last oh, yeah. year and uh they were making a jrpg japanese role-playing game yeah and i said uh, oh so it looked, it looked wonderful actually and i said uh so you've got, it seems you've got the fighting mechanic down because I had this demo running. He said, yeah. And the content? Oh, we're not even close. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, I, he looked at me, just, the look on his face. He was like all bouncing by people. I said, so how are you getting on with the content? He did, basically sort of pulled the rug underneath his legs and fell over and went, yeah, that. <laughs> and I like, can't imagine how long it takes to make a JRPG. No, and I don't think anyone really understands that either. You know, and it's really quite sad that... Um, when people sort of try and sort of say, oh, yeah, I'll make a job. How hard could it be? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got to pour in, you know, and it's got to be engaging and you can't cut corners and your energy levels must be at the same levels you were when the, the character starts off as they are mid-game and then, you know, you don't want to trail off into, oh, I don't know, just put an ending. No one's going to finish this anyway. Oh, <laughs> they will. The RPGs are finished, generally. Yeah. Uh, unless the... Final Fantasy VII when I gave up with the Cocoa Bows. Anyway, <laughs> that's me up for nine. So, <laughs> um, well, that's the end of the first half. 
Thanks, mate. Okay. Yeah, we did it. Well done. It was good. That yeah. wasn't as stressful as um, I thought it might be. No, so. no, you did well. I think we talked around lots of stuff and we got to know you about, about your, your background and your inspirations and also the stuff you're playing in between games. It's brilliant. Perfect. Can't, can't ask for more. <laughs> but let's get into the meat of the show. So let's go into the second half where we delve deep into Guard Duty. So the elevator pitch, so to speak. Yes. Um, as our American friends love to say. Guard Duty is a fantasy adventure with an authentic mid-90s point-and-click aesthetic, heavily inspired by games like Simon the Sorcerer, Discworld, Blazing Dragons, and the LucasArts games. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't really have an elevator pitch. It's really hard to pitch it. It has two timelines. It has a fantasy timeline, and there's some sci-fi stuff in there. I can't say how it comes together, because it would completely ruin the plot. Uh, but I don't want to ruin it for people. So, I mean, for those that have seen our trailer... Um, we show off a bit of the sci-fi stuff. We show off a lot of the fantasy stuff. Um, the fantasy stuff is kind of the meat of the game. But yeah, there's um, there's a second plot going on in there. Uh, it's We kind of took everything that we loved about sort of adventure games and tried to mash them together into a big story that spans across the two separate time periods. Um, it doesn't really it doesn't shy away from comedy, but it, I don't think it's reliant on it. There's some serious stuff in the game as well. Um, and yeah, you kind of progress through the game. You learn more of this larger story that I'm being very vague about. Um, and things start to take a little bit of a darker tone. Um, and it kind of, we try to have this contrast between happy, optimistic introduction to the world. And then the contrast with like the events that follow leading onto the bleak sci-fi dystopia. And we can confirm everyone that it does not involve a magic cabbage. It doesn't, no. no it doesn't. I was disappointed by that. I almost said to Emily, you're the PR person, don't bother, no magic, no magic cabbages. Just <laughs> I came to this game on the hope that it would feature a cabbage with magical abilities, but no. Disappoint. But never mind, we let it go this time, maybe the sequel or something. There um, is a, um, there's a magical route, so it's yeah, similar. It's similar. <laughs> you could maybe cook with it. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not going to give away a clue but for, for that. But um, no, you're, you're right. It does start off um, jovial. In fact, we're going to focus on the beginning part of the game because, you know, the, with any point and click or any adventure game, uh, spoilers are, are, are everywhere. Now, yep. this show is not Kane and Rince. Now, if you want spoilers, go listen to that show. <laughs> not, this is not that show. This is Friday, not Monday. Never mind. 
Sorry, Nathan. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, our other, our other show under the Cane and Rinse is the Cane and Rinse show itself, which we talk about games in great, great detail. A bit like a book club, only for video games. First question for you, sir. Yep. When creating puzzles, how have you found juggling the delivery of humour, or indeed any emotion, against solving a puzzle by logical means? Hmm. Well, I think with the puzzle design, the world kind of allows us to be a bit more creative with the solutions. So we've tried to steer away from any puzzles involving inventory item combinations. You don't combine items in Gaju. You have an inventory that you collect items in, but there's no combining. It's um, very much using them with the environment. And it kind of helped cut down on the confusion with the player having too many options for solution to puzzles. Because typically when you've got loads of items and you can combine them, it's just like almost an infinite amount of possible solutions. Um, so, yeah, we've tried to kind of keep things quite um, focused in that regard. Like the items you get have an obvious purpose. Um, you don't necessarily always use them in the obvious way, but they're quite yeah familiar items. Um and yeah, the sort of solutions that uh, for the puzzles, they don't always have the intended result, but I like to think that's half of the fun, kind of helps to build the character. Because, um, yeah, Tom Burt, the protagonist in Guard Duty, he isn't a superhero whose job is to save the world. He's just like an everyday bloke trying to help out. Um, and it kind of lends itself to some funny situations, but also helps him be more relatable. Um, he, throughout the game, he tends to screw up a lot, but um, he keeps on trying his best and plodding on. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's comedy in there. It's normally kind of, um, in regards to puzzles, it's like the reaction to your action. So you'll do something thinking that one thing's going to happen and then something intentionally hilarious will happen. Uh, the opening gambit with something happens to his face, I'm not going to say what, <laughs> is just that... that I was so worried that that joke would outstay its welcome, but it yep. didn't. Because it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, mechanic that you develop. Like you're driving the player on, going, "Look, if you don't fix this, nothing else is going to happen." You know, you need to because your interactions with everyone, everything, the world is like stopped. Basically, a big portcullis going. You need to fix his face. Yep. <laughs> Otherwise, you, you can't just let this go, and it's a wonderful way of um, teaching. It was a, you know, uh, you don't really need to see that much, but for those who are not are familiar with these kind of games or these interfaces, it was a great way to actually give them some sort of impetus, some sort of drive, goal. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. A goal yeah. to actually say, well, if I fix Tongbert's face <laughs> after the thing that happened to him, it was entirely by accident, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, the horror. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh ow 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 um, yeah yeah that that uh, i felt i mean any normal being would have actually passed out and died but um <laughs> it's not it's a cartoony like sort of like uh thing but yeah if it actually happened to you yeah that's bad very bad things would have happened to you yeah uh, it took took quite a lot of fine tuning that to get just right so it wasn't like you say it didn't become annoying because it mm. was like going to be like that for the rest of the game it yeah, sort of right. allowed us to limit the um 
limit the interactions you have available to you at the start whilst not limiting the player's exploration because the first thing you want to do in a game is just go out and look at everything and interact with everything um, which we let the player do but yeah there's um there's kind of a blockade in there before you can fully experience everything yeah it was very very clever and i thought well, that's, that's oh, thank awesome. you um it's just i love the fact that you well, i'm not going to read it anymore it's very early in the game but this is fair this is say you have to read the he would say something, you can understand it, so you have to read the text underneath to go, oh, that's what he's trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't sound like that at all. No wonder people were saying, I've no idea what you're talking about. So it's awesome. Okay. Yeah, um, so next question then. Uh, now, I've been playing these point-and-click adventure games for a very, very long time, for I'm very old. I, I remember that the earliest ones I played. It might have been... I think it was Monkey Island, the first one I ever played on my Atari ST. Then it would lure of the Temptress, Temptress, which came out afterwards. So I've been at it for a while, been playing these for a while. And one of the Good. things that always bothered me at the time, um, certainly the Lucasfilm games didn't really suffer from this too much. For example, I think the Dig and uh, Full Throttle didn't really suffer from this problem. But what I've described to you and the audience is something called Hunt the Pixel. Yeah, it's a hundred pixel mini game. But basically, what you do, you have no idea what to do. You've, you're stuck. You are stuck. You don't know what to do. So you end up doing irrational and disconnected things. And one of the things you do is you walk into an area that you've been to probably a dozen times already, and to sweep to sweep the whole area, trying to find something to interact with. And when you do that, you find oh, I found it doesn't make any sense. Like oh, look, it's a it's a piece of hair on on a bush that's I didn't spot earlier, and now it opens up the rest of the game because I I missed it twenty times. How does God do to avoid this phenomena? Well, um, it's quite a simple solution, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just being aware that pixel hunting itself is really frustrating and um generally making hotspots or interactional areas bigger um that that's the bottom line you just need to make things bigger um not necessarily the item itself but you make sure the area that the cursor kind of activates um a lot larger like i tried well i actually finished it i played simon and sorcerer 2 on my old iphone quite a long time ago now um i think they've done an updated version since but all of the hot spots were just impossible to hit i've got like really fat fingers and trying to get these tiny little hot spots on a tiny little screen was a nightmare um so yeah we've we've made the interactable areas larger um we've made sure that the cursor itself it changes graphic it kind of glows green when you're hovering over something that's of interest and then we've also put in a little text box down the bottom that gives you a description of all of the hot spots as you hover over them so we try to make sure that nothing's hidden away in the backgrounds because our backgrounds are quite detailed and the sprites are the same style so we have to be careful not to allow the objects you can interact with to blend into the backgrounds um so yeah in throughout the game it's something we kept in mind whilst designing it um not only making hotspots bigger um interactable areas bigger shall i say but also making sure that there aren't any items that are just like hidden in foliage that you can't see properly they're all they all tend to stand out quite nicely without you know being too obvious but yeah and that's that's basically what we're talking about here the modern design sensibilities that basically address that and one thing about puzzle games is that in order to solve the puzzle, you need to know what tools you have available in order to solve them. If you, any solution you come up with in your head breaks any of those tools, then it's not viable. Yeah. And it's really frustrating to when you're watching people on, on Twitch or something 
is a fellow uh, who's spent who's spending years now. He's been streaming old PC adventure games, and uh, you know sometimes it's really frustrating to watch him. He's done he's done a fair few of them now, and he still does it. He's still like. What if I did this? No, you can't do the things you're describing <laughs> in this game. So why are you entertaining it? But he'll was, still he'll still do it because he's, you know sometimes even even after many plays of these games, you realise that no, it's just like a crossword puzzle. Or maybe I'll just put you know um, another word here, but just sort of swap that word over with that one. No, you can't do that. Once the word's in, that's it. It's you're just stuck. <laughs> you can't put any other word in. You can't replace it with something else. So um, it's a very sort of blunt way of saying it, but that's that's what you've done with Guard Duty. It's very transparent in that way. It's very obvious, very quickly you determine these are the things I can do, these are the things I cannot do. Like, for example, merging objects. I found that out very quickly. Like, oh, but I like doing that. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was my, I mean, that was the only, I say negative. It was just like, oh, I'm used to making new things in my inventory. Oh, well. Let's see how this works. Which leads me on to my next question. See? Aha. Uh-huh. Segway. Segway. <laughs> <laughs> Although regular listeners will know, know that when I say it's a Segway, it no longer is because I've identified it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> why is the sack infinite? Why is it a bag of holding, basically? Okay. Um, why a bag of holding, is it? Anyway, carry on. Yes, yeah. why, why, yeah. why can you hold all of the things? The Infinity Sack, which yes. is a mystical bag woven with infinity string. <laughs> um, yeah, it can fit just about any. Well, it can store just about anything you can fit into the opening, um, and it's a cheap excuse for an age-old problem of inventory in games. Um, and we just decided decided to make a bit of a joke out of it. Really, um, obviously. We didn't want the player becoming over-encumbered like in Skyrim, for example, because that I couldn't imagine how frustrating that would be in a point-and-click adventure game. You want to pick up everything. Um, and yeah, typically games do have an infinite inventory. They don't really worry too much about the size of things you put in them. Um, and we just, yeah, we'd, I, I sort of came up with the idea of it being woven with infinity string and just thought, well, that's kind of funny. That's a good enough excuse for it. Um, it's probably one of the only areas um, of sort of where we could have potentially innovated, where we decided to just stick with the tried and tested formula. It works for most games. So we, we went with an infinite inventory. Yeah, I could see that as a great conceit. Why not just make a joke out of it? Because, you know, at one point you might put all sorts of weird and wonderful things into that bag. Yep. It's like, you know, it's not, like I said, it's not like a bag of holding because that eventually does get full. What happens is put something into it and the last thing you put in it disappears um that's not the case with this but this bag so it's actually better yeah it's i up. mean it, yeah if it was a bag of holding we'd probably end up with a lot of dead ends yeah. i think <laughs> oh, <laughs> which yeah. would please the sierra gamers but i don't think it would please anyone else that's right what do they call it um walking dead or something or yeah uh, dead man walking or something like that basically you already you you you, you think you you know you've got uh, you've got but you haven't done a thing or you've gone past an area that's now gated off and you can't go back to it and now you, you, that's it you screwed the game you've got to start again almost yeah <laughs> nice yeah in a lot of cases you do just have to start again yeah, you just... yeah. it's just like oh well, I haven't done the thing yeah you've, you've broken the game all right great design yeah they didn't do it back then <laughs> nope so <laughs> again see everyone it's the it's just it's why I love talking about these point and click adventures 
the current ones, not the older ones, because they are they've learnt from this because game design has advanced significantly over the last thirty years. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true, and um, that's why we're in a better place now than we were. So you know, move away from that baggage. Cat hair thing is not there anymore, and uh, <laughs> it's 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 much better now. People are understanding what it really takes to be a good puzzle adventure game. My last question then. Okie doke. Playing Tongbert. He's a, he's a halfling fellow. Yep. And uh, most people find him charming. Uh, but one could argue it's quite difficult to upsell him because he's not particularly empowering. He's not, you know, the big hulking space marine that we're used to. Um, but despite this, how do you believe God Duty overcomes this uh, uh, desire for the main protagonist to be uh, um a um, all-conquering square-jawed hero. Yeah, um, I think yeah, playing as a character that's often mocked by his peers, um, it does introduce its own set of problems from a storytelling standpoint. Um, but also, like, there's quite a lot of opportunities because um, I, I personally, I'd like to think that Tonbert's quite a relatable character, at least for me, anyway. Um, and the fact that he's not perfect just kind of adds to this. I think. Um, I think there needs to be more diversity in video game protagonists. More people like Tonda. Um, I've always enjoyed like games that let you control an underdog. And yeah, we kind of wanted to go with that with Tonda. Um, so as you know, you kind of you start in a pretty rubbish situation as Tonda. Of his um, own making, which is even better. <laughs> of his own making, yes. Yeah, because when, when people say, oh, I feel awful. Was it self-inflicted? And you look at you and go, might be. Yeah, I'll just shout louder then, shall I? And then say things like, maybe drink some water now. <laughs> yeah, for, for the listeners, um, Tom basically starts out having been kicked out of the castle in nothing but his pants. Yes. Um, and he's desperately trying to figure out what he got up to the night before. He was drinking heavily and he doesn't remember much of what happened. No, no. It's that kind of night that you black out. That, those, those ones. Yeah, 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 it was his it was his birthday. Um yeah. he had a good time, but he doesn't remember any of it. So <laughs> yeah, you you start out with literally nothing. Um and from a character development standpoint, the only way up is is the only way is up from there. Like you can only improve upon that. So um like yeah, the um you you're a guard, so you eventually you have to get your guard's uniform back. Um and when you do it's sort of everyone starts taking you seriously in the kingdom because you're now wearing the uniform of the local guard. Um, and it's quite, I'd like to think it's quite liberating for the player because you sort of, like we were saying earlier, you've now opened up a whole bunch of doors and there's a load of stuff to do. And like, you can now talk to the people properly and explore the lore of the world a bit more. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't want to go into that too much, but it really is. It's as if a big veil is revealed. Like, okay, fine. You've got this now. You've figured this out. Here's what's going on, and it just opens up, and then voila, it just opens up to you, and it's just, um, it's lovely. It's just such a great reveal, but it's subtle about it. Yeah, that's and, good. Um, it's good to hear you say that. Yeah, but one of the first things I did is I marched off to the castle, like right, <laughs> yeah. show them, and uh, it turns out they got the one up, one up on you anyway, uh, and uh, stuff happens, and uh, but I think the opening bit where you walk past the clerk. And the stained glass window scene, the the artistry, beautiful, and it really just sort of like it's a little reward because one of the things that again I'm very old, so I used to play text adventures with the graphics and stuff, 
And one of the things I loved that drove me through those very difficult and odd text adventures, which even had even more obscure puzzles, was seeing the art that you that when you when you you know seeing the new scenes and the new art. And for me, when I went into that castle and saw that scene, that was a reward to me as the player to say, "Well done, you got past it that bit." That's good. That's good to hear. I mean, they're yeah, point and click adventures or graphic adventures. I think they they definitely are. They're all about the artwork. Yeah. The story is very important as well but um I, i'm probably just blowing my own horn but i'm an artist so i like to i like playing them for the artwork i'm not personally. sure if that was consciously what you wanted to do but it, it that's how i interpreted it be it was like a thank you for you know for getting that far well done for getting that far to getting past those obstacles and here's a here's a lovely scene for you yeah yeah we we try to kind of keep that going throughout the game mm. like especially developing the character like it sort of escalates as the story progresses um, and like you're exploring new places that you haven't been before, but also you're kind of leaving behind Tombet's reputation. So it, the tone changes, the locations change um, and the experiences you get back as a player change. Uh, yeah. And then there's sci-fi somewhere. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, 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 intro sequence has it all there. So yep. yeah, very bad things going to happen apparently. But um, so Dark Duty, uh, by Sick Chicken Studios. Yep. Say that three times really fast. Is out now. Not now, but it will be sometime in the springtime. Maybe soon. It will be. Hopefully uh, soon. Very yep. soon. Um, uh, for it's gonna, the platforms it's going to be arriving for is Windows, PC, Mac, and Linux. So. Yep. Yes. Uh, all the computers are catered for. Um, well, maybe not ZX81, but maybe someday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But um, no, uh, Nathan, it's been fantastic having you on. It's been uh, wonderful hearing about your experiences and making uh, guard duty. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Chris. It's been great. Great fun chatting to you. Yeah, and you're more than welcome to come back on to chat about your next adventure game or whatever uh, thing you're, you're working on. Don't worry, we'll be here. We'll be here. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> right. Cheers, Chris. You have a good night. Cheers.